I feel like you got to see five at the very least. Five is I'm, like I'm an, an unimpeachably good movie. You don't have to watch I'm, any of the uh, other ones, but five is good. I'm not opposed to seeing any of them. It's just, it's one of those things that I just wasn't on at the beginning. So then when the excitement around the next Fast and Furious comes out, like I'm not excited like everyone else. I'm sure it's fine. No, you could just jump right on. You don't, you don't have to know what happens in yeah. like the first AFAT. There's not like an incredibly deep, <laughs> arduous plot and lore that you have to understand <laughs> to fart. see people stealing cars. It just, you just got to sit back and enjoy it. All right. I'll start with five. All right. This is debatable. I'm Dominique Fonser. That's everyone's favorite football analyst, Bill Barnwell. Um, Alabaster, tell us something. Don't make a Fast and Furious reference. So if you had seen Fast and Furious, huh. you could have you could have raised both of your arms and gone, "This is debatable." A la Vin <laughs> Diesel saying, "This is Brazil in uh, Fast Five. I thought but he said, "This is family." I he, thought that was he says, he says that a lot. Okay. Um, this is Brazil. Speaking <laughs> uh, speaking of family, uh, let's talk about the running back family. How should the rest mm. of the running back Zoom call feel after uh, feel about Saquon's new deal? Not your best segue, but I'll take it. Um, I don't know. They should be disappointed and sad. Like I, I felt myself feeling sad when I saw that this morning uh, or yesterday morning when it came across. It's like he pretty much signed the deal. That he pretty much signed the tender. I think we have written there is like the only thing is if he goes over 1300 rushing yards, which is not easy, he can get an extra $900,000, right, Bill? Mm-hmm. And I believe the Giants have to make it to the postseason oh, for that to come into play, if I'm not mistaken, which I, I, I'm not advising Saquon Barkley. And I know they made the playoffs last year. They did beat the Vikings. I would have got that one taken out of there, if I'm being honest with you. I don't get the point of it. I, I mean, I guess I don't get the point of showing up now because at least skip camp. Like, you <laughs> yeah, didn't even get your money. Like, what do you – you showed up to work for what? You were going to get this – this was, deal was not going anywhere. But mm-hmm. I guess he just wanted to be there. He didn't even get the the clause that people expected was – that he would make it uh, get an understanding from the Giants that he wouldn't be franchised again next year. Like this seems like an obvious loss and there was no mm-hmm. pressure for him to come in and take this loss. I frankly don't really understand it. I guess maybe his agent will explain it to us at some point, or maybe he'll just be like, I mean, things weren't changing. I love football. I love my teammates. So I came to work. You've heard reports about Saquon Barkley through this entire process and the word that keeps coming out or the phrase that keeps coming out is that he doesn't want to be seen as greedy, which is a very curious term given the other conversation surrounding running backs. I don't think anybody feels like running backs are greedy right now. They seem desperate, if anything, to get paid what they deserve on the open market. And I think that's why Saquon went ahead and made this deal. I think he's been concerned internally about having a perception that he's not being a team player, that he's not, you know, being there for his teammates. And frankly, if there was ever a moment where it feels like you would not be greedy to hold out, that it wouldn't be greedy to sit out week one, that it wouldn't be greedy to sign the franchise tag and be in camp for a team that clearly has said, we don't see you as a long-term part of this franchise, feels like this situation right here, no? I mean, I think that players often say that they don't care what people think. I guess generally people say that, but you hear it a lot from athletes. Like, I don't care about the outside noise. Mm-hmm. Clearly you do, because there was no mm-hmm. other incentive to come in here than to be concerned about the outside noise. And it felt like all the noise was in his favor. Most people 
seem to be defending Saquon. I think Rich Eisen did a whole piece on it about defending him and all the people. He's got Eisen in this corner. That's yeah. a big one. I mean, he represents like uh, the old guard, old white male mm. football analyst guy. Sure. Fair. If, if Fair. you got them, then you got everybody else. All the young people seem to pretty much understand it. All the analytics nerds would say that he does not uh, – it doesn't make good sense to pay him. However, I think most of them would also – uh, be in favor of him getting paid because they're not, well, the ones I know are not emotionless <laughs> monsters like you, Bill Barnwell, who I would consider one of those analytics, uh, not nerds. Wait, nerds you, feel so wait, derogatory. Wait, I'm not sure. Are you, are you calling me an emotionless monster or not? I can't. No, 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 no. You, okay, you are, you are I'm sure how uh, insulted I should be. a warm hearted person who wishes that Saquon would get some money, but you would never pay it to him yourself. No, it's not. It's not coming out of my bank. Lamar's <laughs> got lots of money. They don't. They can afford to pay Saquon Barkley. That's not a question of like. It's not coming out of my personal bank account. I wouldn't pay anybody. I would. Patrick Mahomes is not getting paid. If it's coming out of my bank account, we'll be fine with Chad Henney. We'll just move it forward. But Chad. Dominique, the point you brought up, and the, the thing that sort of is shocking to me here, and the thing that I think running backs are going to need to be fighting for as a realistic clause in these deals to you know, to, to sort of use their leverage to get something done is the possibility of not being franchised a second time. And I'm shocked that Saquon Barkley was not pushing for that because frankly, in the big picture, that's going to make him a lot more money than a few hundred thousand dollars in incentives. The yeah. idea that you can have one more good year and then either have the Giants be stuck giving you a multi-year deal or be on the open market and get a significant contract that way, that's what's going that, to, that's going to be what unlocks a big opportunity for these players when you look at the franchise tag value because it's not going up it hasn't been going up it's been going down if anything and right now when you have a franchise tag that's 10 million dollars yeah. and a running back market where guys are expecting based on their production to get 13 14 15 million dollars a year that's the disconnect here that's I, why the market has been so slow i want to believe that he is fighting for it but i don't understand how you can fight for it and show up on what is essentially like day two of camp like you, mm -hmm. you, you didn't threaten anybody. You didn't scare anyone. Uh, for the running backs at large, who they have a concern running backs coalition. One of the things that I know matters is what the other running backs are doing. So I think that mm -hmm. they'd probably be frustrated by this because if Saquon isn't going to force anyone to do anything, I'm not sure who the most talented uh, next person who's going to be up for a contract is to do that. But what happens sometimes is if a guy doesn't show up for a whole year and then the next guy doesn't show up for a whole year, then I think teams start to believe, oh, these guys won't show up. And the third guy then potentially has some leverage. But if Saquon's like, nah, I'll come in. Oh, just <laughs> don't give me any more. Just give me the promise of a little more if I have a mm -hmm. uh, MVP caliber season yep. and, and we get to the playoffs. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. I don't get the incentive for Saquon to sign this deal, and it doesn't help the rest of the running backs. I, there is really no legitimate solution going forward because most of the solutions uh, would probably impact them being drafted in the first place. So it, it's just mm -hmm. a sad state. We're going to transition to a place where all running backs are Cordero Patterson and Debo Samuels. <laughs> they're they're going to have to be wide backs in order to get their true value. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, that, that theory about like, okay, if one back holds out and two back holds out and then three backs hold out, that's going to get teams to actually be scared. That's great for the fourth back. It yes. sucks for backs one, two, and three because they don't get paid and you end up in a Le'Veon Bell situation where you sacrificed $10 million, $12 million to go out and get signed by the Jets.
on well, the open I mean, market. So that is the nightmare scenario. Two things to that is like I don't necessarily agree that the Le'Veon Bell situation was a bad situation for him. He ended up with more guaranteed money uh, than the money that he was guaranteed. So like if he would have played the the franchise tag year and was mm-hmm. healthy and became a free agent, then he would have gotten more money. But okay. uh, he didn't. He also could have played that year and devalued himself and not got to the money. Overall, he got a, a bigger guarantee. So that's that. And to the point about the the backs finally getting paid eventually after a bunch of guys sacrificed, yeah, that sucks. But that's kind of how it always is for any like class of people. <laughs> sure. Is like of course a bunch of people sacrifice and they get nothing for it, and then finally the last person gets something. So sorry, running backs, it's just the way it is. <laughs> I mean, nobody like like you don't blame someone for not wanting to beat Kurt Flood, even if you yeah. admire what <laughs> Kurt Flood did. Like it's sure. great, but but I don't want to be Kurt Flood. I want to be you know, the, the mediocre player who gets $10 million guaranteed 25 years later because Kurt Flood did a sacrifice. You know, like, I I guess from your perspective, Dominique, like, do you think if players, if running backs are going to be threatening to hold out on franchise tags, leaving Saquon aside, someone like Josh Jacobs, Johnny Pollard signed this deal already, but Jacobs, I guess is the one guy left, maybe Jonathan Taylor coming up on this next deal here. If you're those guys, are you holding out for, more money like Saquon or, or are you going to try and use the threat of holding out or, or, you know, holding in or whatever it's going to be, yeah. or not playing games early in the season to try and get the no franchise tag clause. To me, that seems more valuable than even getting a couple extra million dollars. Yeah. I mean, because it means more than a couple extra million dollars. I think that's the one thing that they I could do. reasonably uh, try to ask for. But I also think that just not signing the franchise tag and pulling a Le'Veon Bell, I don't think is the worst idea in the world. If you show up and you play under the franchise tag, great. And then you play it again, under it again, great. But then what is your value actually worth? If you can get all of that guaranteed on the back end. So like, there is no real right answer to this because as we kind of have been talking about for weeks now, the game has just moved away from them being valuable and the replacement players at their position are of higher value. So I don't know. There's still, uh, there's still a bunch of teams that would just let you walk. I, I think even if you, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there, there has to be some teams because the 49ers were willing to trade for McCaffrey, even though he had a big number, the Titans paid. Derek Henry. Kinda. I mean, they essentially just kind of guaranteed him. Uh, but they seasons. franchised him first. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I mean, I guess it, it just feels so hopeless because it, at the bottom, I mean, the end of the day, as much as the reason why I want them to be paid and most of us want to be paid because it seems unfair. But if you look at the true like economic incentives in this, like it doesn't actually make a whole bunch of sense <laughs> to be paying these guys. So it just it just sucks. There's a whole subset of people where I think you and I, I think me and Estelle are all like, it doesn't make sense to pay these guys. We should pay them. They should get paid. Also a bad idea for your football team. It's not like teams with expensive running backs are winning tons of Super Bowls. They still deserve to get paid though. Like, I think we can talk about this in the abstract, but clearly like, you know, is there a case that it does matter more than we're making it out to be? I mean, Christian McCaffrey and the Niners, the, the splits are so dramatic right. after he arrived last year. They were one of the worst offenses in football before he got there, and they were number two in the NFL in EPA per play afterwards. And even after that point where McCaffrey arrived, the splits with him on and off the field were significant. They were number one in the NFL in EPA per play with McCaffrey on the field, 16th with him off the field after he arrived in San Francisco. So... 
if McCaffrey can be that kind of difference maker, even if it's not borne out in his yards per carry or traditional numbers, like, isn't there an argument to be made that running backs are more integral to NFL offenses than maybe we're making it out to be, or maybe the numbers say? Yeah, I think this kind of, you're leading me to a a potential theory is that this mirrors the athletic quarterback situation Mm -hmm. and that it's more of a reflection of your coach's creativity and intelligence and individuality than it is a reflection of the player. Because if you have a special player, no matter the position, he's a special player and you can find a way to make him impact your team positively. And that's what it comes down to for running backs, even though they play this particular position and yeah, you can find someone who that person's skill level may not be that lower may not be that much lower than the player, but Mm -hmm. the versatility and the dynamics that your offense can uh, add with a smart coach in that, in uh, a talented running back, I think you could argue, well, at least in the McCaffrey case, you can certainly argue that it's as impactful as a true number one receiver, which no one's arguing that you don't need to pay them. No question. And even Derrick Henry. I mean, when when Derrick Henry went down for Tennessee in 2021, we saw their offense greater. Their play, even though their running game was still reasonably effective, even though Dante Foreman put up solid numbers, even though Henry hadn't been the same caliber of back before his foot injury as he had been the prior couple of years, we saw their play action game went to like they were not as effective throwing the football. And that's not because you run the ball 10 times in a row with Henry into the ground and then linebackers start you know going right. after play action fakes. It's because you proved in sometime in 2019 that if you didn't, go after Derrick Henry, he was going to run you over or run past you. And then because of that, it opened up play action opportunities for Ryan Tannehill, who had been a mediocre quarterback before joining Tennessee and suddenly became the most efficient quarterback in football for a stretch. So I, I think those sort of effects of how it impacts the offense, what, what it means beyond just strictly your yards per carry or strictly your rush yards over expectation, I think there's a decent chance that we're going to come in the next five, 10 years with more data and more evidence and more on off stuff and say, okay, there is more of an impact here on the passing game than maybe we were giving it credit for a decade ago. And oh, by the way, oops, maybe we should have paid running backs a little bit more than we thought about at the time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think we come to a place where I feel comfortable about arguing that it would be smart to pay certain running backs. That's all I wanted to do. So thank you, Bill. I'm happy mission was accomplished for this show. You can take off the rest of the show if you want to, or you can hang around and answer some more questions. But most important thing is let's blame the coaches for not being creative enough. Just going to tweet that I'm an ally to running backs for Dominique Foxworth. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) All right, guys. Let's go. What's next? Uh, San Francisco. Brock Purdy's been cleared to be a full participant in training camp without restrictions. What does that mean for the 49ers? And what does that mean for Trey Lance? Can we get Trey Lance on that Zoom? Can he have like a like a surrogate entrance on oh, the Zoom? Gosh. He gets a link from somebody. It feels like it feels like if anybody should be sitting here upset about not getting the opportunities that he was promised as he entered the NFL, kind of feels like Trey Lance is that guy. Yeah, they invested a whole bunch in Trey Lance and were very eager to jump off of them. So like that is concerning to me because normally <laughs> coaches are would like to justify those decisions. Mm-hmm. And I know there were the rumors that Kyle Shanahan didn't love Trey Lance as much as the rest of us did. He was a Mac Jones mm-hmm. guy. So maybe that's part of the reason why they've been willing to move off of it. But I'm hesitant to say Trey Lance didn't get the opportunities because uh, he's 
the conversation about Trey. No, I know he technically didn't get the opportunities, but I'm hesitant to argue that the reason why he is being he's not super successful is because he didn't get the opportunities because you we would know like we kind of know these guys are something better than what we anticipate and move it on sure. from Trey Lance for uh, Mr. Irrelevant. It just makes it really hard for me to argue that, nah, it was just the injuries <laughs> and the timing get in the way. I, I want to believe it. And I have no reason to say, like, I have no evidence of my own. Like, I don't watch the 49ers practice tape. I just got that one game where they played Chicago in a bowl of soup. And that that was it. You don't remember that, like monsoon. I do. Yeah. I do. Nobody. I guarantee you, if they had Jimmy Garoppolo back there for that game, they weren't scoring yeah. seventeen points. Wasn't happening, no matter who they had a quarterback in that game. I I understand what you're saying, and I I don't think you are wrong to point out that there's more than just that four game sample when it comes to Trey Lance and what we perceive about Trey Lance. What Decisions team make, the way teams talk about players is meaningful and valuable. Look at Green Bay. I mean, I think there's something telling about Jordan Love's ability and his chances of succeeding because the Packers were willing, based on what they saw in practice over three years, to give up Aaron Rodgers and trade him to the Jets and open up an opportunity for Jordan Love. But here is why I don't feel like we can trust Kyle Shanahan when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> his quarterback track record? <laughs> Dominique, let's let's think about the quarterbacks <laughs> Kyle Shanahan has used during his time in the NFL That's as bad. a play caller. It's Matt Schaub. It's one year of RG3, or one and a half years of RG3. It's Kirk. It's Matt Ryan, MVP Matt Ryan, and it's Jimmy. Does Trey Lance sound like any of those quarterbacks to you, or does Brock Purdy sound more like that group of quarterbacks? Oh, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy sounds Brock in, Purdy and looks Ryan. a lot like them. <laughs> they're, they're, on, they're on a totally different Zoom, literally just counting money on that Zoom. It's like they're lighting money on fire because they have so much they don't know what to do with it. That is what that quarterback Zoom is like. And so I wonder if this is just a thing where it's not that Trey Lance was bad, but Trey Lance is different. Trey Lance is a lot of work. Trey Lance is an inexperienced passer with an incredibly unique skill set. And Kyle Shanahan, maybe when he thought about trading for Trey Lance, he was excited. He said, okay, we can get a guy who's going to, you know, change the numbers for us in the running game. We can have this modern quarterback run game that, you know, other teams have built in. We can run the power spread. We can have something like the Eagles offense that we've seen with Jalen Hurts, but with an even more exciting passer in Trey Lance. And then he got him, and he was like, eh, "Like I kind of want that familiar Chevy Malibu yeah. that I, I want to throw in there. Like, Brock Purdy, I can just plug in my old stuff. We're good. We don't have to do stuff that I'm not expecting. And I think that's that familiarity is why I think Brock Purdy became such an appealing option once he succeeded. It's funny because uh, we're coming off the last conversation where I'm essentially uh, celebrating Kyle Shanahan's creativity <laughs> and, and offensive creativity and how he can make uh, a running back, which is like an asset that people don't really value, a force multiplier, but mm -hmm. an athletic quarterback, which in most cases is actually uh, like a cheat code force multiplier for yes. most teams. Somehow for him, he's like, nah. Get me the guy that's going to throw it exactly where I say, from exactly yep. where I say, which I thought mm -hmm. that he was broken of that when Patrick Mahomes took that Super Bowl from him when he was the coordinator, or excuse me, when he was the head coach for the 49ers. Mm -hmm. well, I guess he still is the head coach, but when he was coaching the 49ers and he realized that Jimmy G ain't quite enough when you're going up against these big dogs. He thought about it. He thought he, he, he wanted to take that risk, but this is like, you know, 
I, I realize I'm going to look stupid saying this. It's like going to do like, like, like a, like a gym class at a gym that you don't normally go to. And then you get there and you're like, I don't want to do this. I want to go back to planet fitness. Like, I just want to do my half hour on the elliptical and call it. I don't want to do CrossFit. I don't, I don't want to go like, I, I don't want to do a selling ladder. I don't even know what that is. You just want to go back to what's familiar for you. And that works fine. Kyle Shanahan is great at that. That yeah. offense can be very successful, but maybe doesn't, maybe it doesn't have the ceiling yeah. that, Kyle Shanahan would hope. But then again, Jimmy Garoppolo made it to a Super Bowl, almost made it to a second. Brock Purdy was on the path to making it to a Super Bowl until he had Tommy John surgery uh, or, or his UCL injury. Like, maybe it's Kyle. not the worst thing in the world. And then, then again, Mac Jones fits right into that group of quarterbacks as well. Kyle Shanahan is the king of the elliptical. He's not here for your newfangled machines. Just walk in, give me that old faithful. Let me get on that thing. Give me that Stairmaster. <laughs> Stairmaster is a monster. I hate that Stairmaster. That terrible, was, terrible. They would make us do that as punishment sometimes in college if you like miss class or something. Oh so no! Get your on the Stairmaster for we forever. Forever. We might have a hazing story here. Uh, yeah, we got plenty. I can tell you, they made a pencil <laughs> pencil roll off the field because oh. somebody missed a tackle. It was terrible. Yeah, yeah. College football sounds great. Oh, it's terrible. And they didn't pay you. Oh, so much money! I was swimming in so swimming in greenbacks up there. You were swimming in little little <laughs> pizza bucks. Oh, oh you uh, you can't talk about DC area things anymore. You're not one of us. Wow, I'm I, I'm following in Dominique Foxworth's footsteps. I was like, what can I do to emulate the most successful person I know? And that was move to the Massachusetts area, uh, and and now I'm gonna follow you back to DC. Please, That's what my plan is. Come on home. Come on home. All right, Alabaster, what's next? What else we got? Well, oh, we're about money, to be money, joined money, by money. Izzy. Money. Oh, wow. Finally, some talent here on the show. Don't you do that. You're very talented. Yeah. I want well, you... I'm not saying me. I'm just saying you. Oh. I know I'm talented. <laughs> okay, makes sense. All right, bye, <laughs> Bill Barnwell. No, Coming Bill, no. I'm not leaving. You can't get oh. rid of me. Oh, we're adding. Oh, I'm confused. I thought you were saying Bill was leaving. All right. Welcome to the show, Israel Gutierrez. I uh, haven't talked to you in quite some time since we were doing some NBA stuff. So we got NBA news today. But before that, Alabasta. Okay, guys. This one's sort of NBA related, too. Yeah, uh, what's what's more interesting to you? Killing Mbappe being offered $776 million <laughs> or the reaction to it by NBA players? <laughs> All right. So, I mean, I think the offer itself is more interesting than the reaction. The reaction from the NBA players, uh, I don't think was surprising. I think most people would agree it's a bit tone deaf and disappointing, but also it's kind of like it's shocking how fast we've gotten to a place where everyone is so comfortable with having these conversations mm -hmm. where multiple players, it wasn't just one player doing the dumb thing. Multiple players were like, hey, give me that money. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. sell my soul. It's a real bad look for the NBA that like fancies itself the most progressive and um, an open-minded league amongst yeah. all American sports leagues. It's a good reminder to all of us. Uh, Nah, <laughs> they just there like does seem to be a blind spot long term or for a long time anyways with the NBA. Mm -hmm. And it's usually 
international relations, right? right. And I think this yeah. is another uh, one of those situations where they're just kind of not seeing or not reading or being fully informed on everything going on and just reacting to something that they know, which is money. And that's a huge number. And it sounds ridiculous. Um, where I'm afraid, and I don't mean to get all serious about this, but where I'm afraid, it's just like, and I know people hate this term and it's just already one of those terms that people just, you know, turn off their TVs or whatever when they hear, but sports washing, like this is mm -hmm. what that looks like. Like all of a sudden we're not talking about anything other than, wow, that's a huge number. And look, everybody else is responding to that huge number. And man, look, these folks mm -hmm. that are paying them, whatever. Like it's just, it's just another big money situation. And this, just the fact that we're discussing this in this context makes it feel like it's working. Like, they are extremely happy that LeBron James tweeted something like of all the athletes you can think of that are, you know, outside of soccer, that's you, you nailed one. Right. And, and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, another one like you mm -hmm. can't get much better than those players. And they're just normalizing things. And it just makes me sad. It makes me sad that this is something that. You just, you know, you, you hear or read about the NBA keeping any sort of Saudi potential buyers away from the mm -hmm. league and all that stuff. And it's just like, it just seems like an inevitability. Like if, if, if all these other countries and all this big money can go into the Premier League, for example, and own, you know, some mm -hmm. of the better, bigger teams in the world, like it seems like an inevitability that it's going to find its way into our professional sports leagues. And this is slowly how it happens. No, I mean, this is a, a battle between two different Gulf megastates. Like this is uh, the Qatari government owning PSG where Kylian Mbappe currently plays and uh, presumably, or at least by all accounts, wants to leave next year for free, which is uh, absolutely beyond the pale for PSG and their owners. And the Saudi Arabian government, which has an ownership stake in Newcastle United in the English Premier League that has, uh, has, has taken over the four top teams in Saudi Arabia has made big offers for players like Lionel Messi, imported maybe two dozen players into that league on significant wages far beyond anything they would have expected to get at any other league in the entire world. Like 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 the the money here is sort of beyond the point. Like 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 whether it's seven hundred seventy six million dollars a year, whether it's six hundred million dollars a year for a one year deal plus paying three hundred million dollars or more to PSG to get Kylian Mbappe to come play in Saudi Arabia for one season. Like it, it, it's the number doesn't matter. Like the number is not the point here. The point is the the escape. The point is the the distraction from what is happening and what has happened in Saudi Arabia in years past. And it's not just soccer. It's been uh, golf, of course, with, with, with Liv. It's been pro wrestling with them, importing WWE events for $50 million an event. It's been all different uh, categories of sports that Saudi Arabia is attempting to become a, a player on the global landscape and perhaps distract from things that have happened in Saudi Arabia in the past or are currently still happening in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and what's uh, the end game, Dominique? Yeah, like, what's the end game for them? It's yeah. not just to own all the sports teams across, around the world. There's something else. Yeah. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, uh, are we just going to fall victim to this as well? Yeah, um, you use the word inevitability, and it's not an inevitability. It's a choice that we are making. And I guess, uh, sorry to twist up your words, but I'm sure you mean it's inevitability because it doesn't seem like we can stop it. But Correct. It can be stopped and I'm with you. It doesn't feel that promising because we have a few data points, recent data points to point to. You remember how up in arms everyone was with the idea of live and, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and we were like treating those golfers like they were uh, enemies of the United States. And now it's mm -hmm. like, eh, people make a couple jokes, yeah. no big deal. So like the progress right. is there. 
But well, it's because the PGA didn't have the money to fight, so it's just right. like whatever. They've got the money; that's all the answers, and they know that it's different mm-hmm. in the NBA, in the NFL, and other sports because they have to vote to allow people in. Like, if someone's going to take full ownership of an NBA team or NFL team in the same way that they have uh, in the Premier League teams, the the owners are going to have to vote, and they're going to have to make a choice because, as we can see. Money ain't a thing. Like, they don't really care. And in order to, like, buy an NFL franchise or buy an NBA franchise, they're going to pay way more than anyone else would pay. And that is going to automatically add billions of dollars to the net worths of all of these owners of other teams and all of these mm-hmm. leagues. So it's going to be a choice that they have yep. to make. And you that would sounds think like that, a convincing argument though. Like if you can I, convince these players to is, ignore stuff, sure. you can convince these Some, owners to as well. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Bill. I'll say this one thing and uh, I'll shut up. What's the point of having you money if you never get to say you? Like, I don't get it as an owner of an NFL team or an NBA mm-hmm. team. You already got more money than God. I don't understand at that point, and maybe because I don't got a billion dollars, I got much less. And I tell people you all the time. <laughs> Killian Mbappe is making more money than any soccer player on the planet over the next few years. He, he's, go, he's going to be the highest paid uh, athlete, perhaps in all of sports around the planet, when he goes to play for Real Madrid, literally the biggest club in the entire world, Real Madrid. And this is, he could just take a detour for a year. And make seven hundred million dollars. Like, like, like that is the the scope of happening. Or there, there's different tiers of you money. There's different echoes of you money from a higher cavern when it comes to the the money that's being in play here. And I think that's why it's an inevitability. Is that if we're asking owners, the people who are most incentivized by money, the people who, despite having all the money and these incredible assets, who are pettier than any player in some situations it feels like that they're going to be the ones to put a stop and say no we're not going to let someone into our little club if it means like you said adding billions of dollars to our bottom line raising our franchise values changing the way we approach them i i don't but i mean i don't buy for a second they're going to band together and stop that from happening that's the scariest part is what will be required to stop any of this is for us to make it clear that we find it unacceptable and as we started this, it seems clear that us as a society are not at a place where, or we've moved closer to a place where we're cool with it than we were just a few months ago. And if I mm-hmm. may further plant my flag as one of the early inter-Miami homers, uh, mm-hmm. more credit to Lionel Messi for not choosing sure. Saudi Arabia and coming to about five miles East or west of <laughs> shows me, Publix me. over Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I mean, I, I and I guess that's to the, the point that I was making before about the money. And maybe it's different. Maybe there is like some secret society that you need to have fifteen billion dollars to get into. But Messi didn't. He's not in. He didn't cave. He's not mm-hmm. like poor now. He got a piece <laughs> of all the the um, subscriptions to Apple, and he got mm-hmm. millions of dollars. Like. I don't know. I, I'm not asking people to like be Mother Teresa or like have a vow of poverty. Like that's not. But no, what I'm saying. like that's the better goal is to work for yourself, right? And invest mm-hmm. in all these things and have exactly. instead of just hey, this super rich guy is going to give me money, but I'm his employee. I mean, I tend not to like as as a football player. One of the things you stay out of other people's money. If somebody's holding out, you don't say like, you don't call people mm-hmm. greedy. And I tend to hold that belief in most of my life, but. 
when you got hundreds of millions of dollars and then you're choosing between a couple hundred more or a couple hundred less, I can go with this regime that is oppressive and murderous or mm, let me go hang out in Fort Lauderdale, which has its own problems. <laughs> but I feel like it's reasonable for me to be like, hey, why don't you just take the less problematic route, right? So many Trump players. So, yeah, so. I know. It, I've been down there plenty of times. I don't love it. I don't love it. But I mean, it ain't Saudi Arabia. So, so naive, Dominique. Come on. It's like, I, like, like, do we have any evidence that this is going to happen regularly? Like, I think Lionel Messi, it, it's a shock. He didn't take the money, that he did not take the Saudi Arabia deal. I, I, I know he's going to make a lot of money, but like, like, like the, the baselines here are different. The expectations are different. The, it's not about how much money you have. It's about keeping up. It's about getting what you feel you're worth. And that's why I think it's tough for people to, to not take the biggest money on, on hand. And, to, and like to the point of players like Antetokounmpo and, and other NBA stars, like they're underpaid. Like if you're yeah, if you're an NBA player and you have a literal thing in your CBA saying I can't make any more than this, and you see Kylian Mbappe, the best player at his sport or one of the best players at <sighs> his sport, don't yell at me on Twitter, going and making you know uh, an entire career's worth of max salaries in one year in Saudi Arabia, I can understand why you would find that to be frustrating. Yeah, and I, uh, Billy B, if I could just say your uh, pronunciation of Giannis, best I've heard in all of media. <laughs> His last name, anyway. Wow. <laughs> Very flattering. That, that, sure that little kumpo in there, which is hard to do. Most wow. people just kind of power right through it. Hold up, teach It's me. a little kumpo. Kumpo. You know what? You know what? You know, I'm, I'm like Nick Foles running Philly Special. I write it once, never again. <laughs> I think that the – all right, so I'm going to do my best to take the player's side of this. And I could understand when Bill's bringing up the – they are in a cap system that I believe is unfair and I don't believe in salary caps and, uh, and any of that stuff. So I get it when they're looking at this money and the United States government, plenty of companies in the United States are in relationship. And this is the whataboutism that I would normally call out and say that I have a problem with, but I can understand a player saying, why me? Why, why are you going right. to come and make me be, have to be accountable when it comes I wasn't down the to, first, when it comes right? down to Looking my money, golfers. like when I'm trying to get my hundreds of millions of dollars that y'all don't mm -hmm. want to pay me. Now, all of a mm -hmm. sudden, everybody is up in arms and there's more moral outrage. Where were y'all when they was investing in all these other startups? Where were y'all? I mean, we still getting oil from that part of the world. There's lots of reasons to look at other people. As much as I hate whataboutism, I can't understand athletes being like, I'm just a basketball player trying mm -hmm. to get my money. Yeah. And that's the game the Saudis are playing especially well. Even Mbappe. It's not like they just went after the best soccer player in the world. They went after a guy who's unhappy right now in his yeah. current situation. And it's just like, oh, one year, make him happy, get him out of his deal, all this attention on us, look at what we have. Like, it's it's working. It's This is what mm -hmm. the plan is the entire time. They're swooping in at just the right times. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to happen. Like, like if it happens, right. great. But even th this offer, which who knows, maybe it's even not even a real offer. We don't even know yeah. uh, how, how credible this opportunity actually is. We'll see what happens in the days to come. But not out of the question that this isn't, isn't even a real offer that's going to not even happen. But we're having the conversation about it. And that in itself is valuable to a, a regime that wants to be thought about differently.
Who's better I don't know if you have bag. anything more to say here, Fox, but before oh, uh, Bill goes, I have to go get something to show him. So if oh. you guys kill about 15 oh, seconds, sure. I'll we're be gonna, right. We're going to have a, a Holland versus Mbappe, Olan versus Mbappe debate. Hold on. We got to work on your... I, Holland is like, he's too cyborg for me. Like, uh, like you he, I don't personality. I, I, I don't feel anything when I watch him play. It's yeah. just like he's in the perfect position every time. He yeah. like he's he's just a freak athlete. Like Mbappe, like Holland also got Holland also players. got some cornrows, which uh, mm. <laughs> uh, mm. he spent a lot of it. He 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 spent a lot of time growing up. You is that I have that exact same Dutch oven that's right behind you. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Gotta, Shout out, shout out to the cruise at Marseille. I just moved. I have a, a, a working backdrop here, but you want me to go get mine? Appreciate, it's it's appreciate pink. Appreciate a man of taste. It's so heavy, it, but it does mine a great is, job. Mine is pink, but I mean, it's the mm. same one. So it's not the exact same. Yeah, you're right. I'm not cool. Mm. But Barbie. Wow. Eh? No, it's not bad. All That's right, a good Bill. point. Get out of here. <laughs> All right, we spent a lot of the preparation for the NBA offseason getting all upset about how much money Jalen Brown was going to make. It seems so insignificant now, but Alabaster, tell us about it. Um, so does Jalen Brown's new contract, which is $304 million, bring the Celtics closer or move them further away from a championship? It's just hmm. a transfer fee. Anyway, go ahead. I mean, it's a heck of a question. I, it's, it, I don't know if this sort of really locks them in to the idea of you have Tatum and Brown and that's your duo for life. You know, you're, gonna, you're either going to win with them or not because, you know, once even when they're in or even when Jalen Brown hits this uh, portion of the contract, it's always going to be tradable. He's still going to be in a you know, position in his career where he's in his prime. And um, the argument, if he ever does get moved, would never be, hey, he's not any good. It's just, hey, he's not the right fit next to Tatum, if, you know, if they ever figure that out or decide that. And so in terms of the contract, it was an automatic. Like it was, it was you know, 27 points a game, 49% from the field for a wing player. Like that's, that's phenomenal numbers. And so what this does seemingly, though, is sort of lock them in even further to that pairing. And I don't know what it is it's going to take to get them to change that. Um, but I do think that it's okay to run it back essentially after this past year, even though it looked like a step back, is because the Ima Yudoka thing just kind of threw everything for a loop. And so, you, you know, maybe there was, a, you know, a difference, a slight difference in coaching Missoula with another year under his belt can do better. Maybe there's a couple of players they could, uh, upgrade change what have you obviously they got kp in there porzingis and maybe uh, al horford isn't that necessary anymore maybe uh, robert williams is injury or if he's you know is injury prone right. you know maybe not that important but i think they're the same place i don't th i think their defense is going to be slightly worse with porzingis in there i think their offense is going to be slightly better but i don't see the the things that i needed to see from the tatum brown duo in terms of leadership in terms of everything that it takes um, and so, no, I think they're in the same place. I don't think they're the, any closer necessarily. The, the same place can make you closer because other people can fall off sure. around them. Like they've been legitimate championship contenders, which is really all you can ask for ever since midway through the season a couple years ago. That's all you want to be, I think, in the NBA. You can't guarantee yourself a championship. You want to enter the playoffs and really feel like you have a chance. And they've had that. They felt that way the past couple seasons. The way that they get better from this is that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum get better, which as ridiculous as it sounds, I think can still happen for 
um, Jason Tatum specifically. I think the way that he plays in the playoffs is not as aggressive, not as far as taking shots, but as far as attacking the bats and those sort of things. And then you mentioned about pieces around him, around them. So when you have those two kind of superstars, yeah, you're going to try to fit things around them. But they do seem like at least the dribbling from Jalen Brown is comes up every year. So finding right. a point guard, which they had one, and he just got hurt and Brogdon uh, last year. I guess uh, White is going to take over more responsibility. And maybe there's some offensive addition by subtraction with Marcus Smart, because even though he hits big shots, sometimes he takes control of the offense in a way that would make a lot of people uncomfortable. But that's the same issue with, with Brown and Tatum. It's like right. Brown is a ball-dominant guard yeah. who – produces but so is jason tatum and so there's got to be a way to either make that work better or just more efficiently where jalen doesn't feel like he's got to dribble seven times and that's where he'll you know he'll turn it over um so that to me like if i'm the boston celtics general manager for example like i'm not brad stevens i'm not saying to myself oh we've got to find somebody else no we've got to find a coach that can just make that work or find a situation and you know we were that close uh, a year ago and last year, you know, whatever, the, the Heat-Celtics thing, that's a, it's a real rivalry. Like, the Celtics hate playing the Heat, and that could have gone any way. You know, could have gone any way. Um, and it just so happened that they lost that one, but they're right there. And so, and, and then with Jalen Brown, all he knows is success with the Celtics. He's been in the playoffs every year. He's been in the league. Where this one was weird to me is that there was, like, absolutely no hesitation on either side once he got in back from vacation and they talked because – like some people say it's too much money for somebody who doesn't, you know, let's say handle the ball as well as a right. terrible assist to turnover ratio. But also just the idea that they can't do much else around them. Right. Like you're, you're going to be stuck with this pairing and maybe they could have looked at a sign and trade. Maybe they could have, you know, seen what they could get back for him. But it seemed like it was, no, no, we're good. Uh, loyalty, 100%, $50 million It's to start. We're good. And that yeah. to me was a tad surprising. But I feel like I started this whole discussion with the the point to make them do this, right? You yeah. have to re-sign them. You just have to trust that you're eventually going to break through. You'll be one of those NBA stories for all time. And, you know, I can't blame them. I mean, oh. that that is the NBA story. Like, traditionally, yeah. that's what happens is you run up against a brick wall a couple of times and you eventually break through. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the quarterback conversations that we have where, of course, everybody wants Patrick Mahomes. But just because you got Kirk Cousins don't mean it's time to yeah. throw him out because whoever else is out there is not better. And I think, obviously, Jalen Brown is better at what he does than what Kirk Cousins is at what he does. But I think there is some belief that the ceiling is is still there but what else are you going to do like the no one ever trades a superstar or a star and and gets back better pieces than what they sent out there and they already shopped him once when they were talking to kevin durant which yeah. kind of uh that we have taken the interpersonal part of this too you can't really be messing around with Jalen brown anymore because you already did it one time now you got you got him back in the door with this big contract and you figure it out and you just Keep playing. What's up, Alabaster? Well, I was just thinking about, like, is that always the case that when you trade a star, you don't always get value back now? Because I'm just looking at, like, some of the recent wing trades. Paul George got traded for Shea Gilgis-Alexander and a ton of picks. Shea's already better than Paul George. Um, but what was Shea when they made the trade? He yeah, was a prospect. nice he player. Was, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm even thinking, like, you know, Anthony Davis, they got ingram back and this bevy of picks it's a that's a nice return kevin durant mikhail bridges turned into what essentially is a rich man's jalen brown within weeks of the trade um 
these these it's it's more commonplace now that you get good players back, even if you trade. Which is why stars. I was wondering, and I was going to throw this at you, Dominique. Do you think that if Damian Lillard would have included Boston in his list, that Boston would have automatically offered sign and trade? Hey, take Jalen Brown, which I'm pretty sure yeah. Portland would have been okay with. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If Jalen wanted to go there, actually. Yeah, I don't know that I would do that if I were Boston. Um, I'm not sure that they wouldn't, though, because he seems to to be a solution to the problems. But it does feel like they're moving away from the Ime Doka defense-first kind of philosophy and moving to a more offensive-minded team, which if you move Jalen Brown out for for Damian Lillard, then you are – fully committing that we're going to outscore everybody. But I mean, I I think Alabaster's point is a nice devil devil's advocate point, but I don't think that you tend to end up with guys who can contribute right now. You know, like if you're building a champion, you, you don't send a talented guy out to build a champion. Normally when you're building a champion, you're, you're the team that's bringing, players in that's willing to part with some young players and some draft picks. So I, well, I building off that. of our last conversation too, about all the, you know, the Saudi money and, and they're trying to you know throw into sports, the NBA, like Boston's problem is going to be this new CBA, all the aprons. Yeah. And like, there's this whole push toward parody because of it. And so they could be after Jason gets his extension, they could be, you know, a year into his and be like, wow, we, we can't put a team around these guys. We might have to, you know, That's find fair. a way to move one of them. So it's not going to be just let's run it back every single year. They're going to run through some issues. So it would have been a bold move to move him via sign and trade for, you know, a bunch of pieces around Jason Tatum maybe and some more depth and some more long-term uh, assurances. But this was the old school NBA. You have to make this move, especially when you're a franchise like Boston, which is always in win-now mode. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I don't know. I, I like Tatum and Brown, which makes me want to root for them. But Boston's a hard, Celtics are a hard team to root for. But I, I would like to see them. I'd like to see the end of this story with them putting together a championship. They have to get past the heat, though, which I know. They have to do it with Porzingis, which means he has to stay healthy. I love Porzingis. He's a fun guy. He seems entertaining. He makes me laugh.